Good morning, I'm Sharla Freeland from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 24th. In today's news, the Biden administration is preparing to sanction Russia for solar winds hacks and the poisoning of an opposition leader. And Canada's Justin Trudeau conveys relief in a meeting with Biden, but sticking points remain. But first, the big idea. Three top officials responsible for security at the U.S. Capitol on January 6 testified before a joint Senate committee Tuesday. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun, House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving, and Senate Sergeant-at-Arms Michael Stanger have all since resigned from their positions and hope to minimize their responsibility for the violence at the Capitol. The Post's Mike DeBonis and Karun Demergian say the men pointed to intelligence failures that led to the attack, which resulted in five deaths. They each explained how they were caught off guard by the scale and ferocity of the pro-Trump crowd, saying the event escalated from a relatively peaceful protest to a violent mob in a span of hours. The former Capitol Police chief said none of the intelligence they received ahead of that day correctly predicted what actually occurred. He said they properly planned for a mass demonstration with possible violence, but what they got was a military-style, coordinated assault. Tuesday's hearing is one of several efforts planned to determine what went wrong on the day the rioters stormed the Capitol. So far, federal prosecutors have filed cases against rioters, the Government Accountability Office is probing security preparations, and top congressional leaders are planning to create a 9-11-style commission to investigate the attack. There were notable disputes between the witnesses, particularly over the timing and the nature of requests for National Guard assistance. Irving, the former House Sergeant-at-Arms, denied a claim made by Sun, the former Capitol Police Chief, that Irving denied a request for military assistance two days before the riot. Irving instead said all of the men agreed at the time that the intelligence assessment they received did not justify a military deployment. A fourth witness, D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti, whose officers engaged in some of the most violent clashes of the day, described how he was frustrated at the slow deployment of National Guard troops. Conti and Sun both warned that the Capitol attack reflected a large failure of domestic intelligence. Both men discussed a failure to act on an intelligence bulletin issued by an FBI field office the day before the attack. The report was first publicly disclosed by the Washington Post in the days following the attack, and it relayed credible calls for violence ahead of the riot. Sun disclosed for the first time that the bulletin was forwarded to the Capitol Police through the Joint Terrorism Task Force, but it was not forwarded to Sun or to the two sergeants-at-arms. D.C. Police Chief Conti said the police department received that report, but it came as an undistinguished email with no priority alert or demand for immediate action. There was another stark dispute between Sund and Irving revolving around their conversations on January 6th. Sund testified that the two spoke at 1.09 p.m., shortly after rioters had broken through the Capitol security perimeter, while Irving said he did not speak to Sund until later. Video from the House chamber shows that at 1.09, Irving was on the House floor. But the camera angles shift frequently, and it was not immediately clear how long he stayed on the floor. Irving insisted that his phone records show no contact from Sun before 1.28 p.m. The two Senate committees that held Tuesday's hearing are expected to hold a second hearing next week, featuring witnesses from the FBI, the Pentagon, and the Department of Homeland Security, who had a more direct role in intelligence gathering. And that's the big idea. Here are two other stories that should be on your radar. Number one, 
The Biden administration is preparing sanctions and other measures to punish Moscow for a cyber espionage campaign. The Post Ellen Nakashima reports the Biden administration is dismayed by the SolarWinds operation, in which government agencies and private companies were hacked. By casting the hack as indiscriminate and potentially disruptive, U.S. officials can claim that the Russian hacking was not equivalent to the kind of espionage the United States conducts. Officials want to sanction those responsible for the operation and are also developing defensive measures aimed at making it harder for Russia to compromise federal and private sector computer networks. Another part of the administration's response will be an attribution statement stronger than the one the intelligence community released in January under the Trump administration. That statement said that Moscow was likely to have been behind the SolarWinds operation. A White House official said last week that the Russian campaign hit nine U.S. government agencies and about 100 private sector companies. The administration's aim is to convey a broader message that the Kremlin has used cyber tools to carry out an array of hostile actions against the United States and its allies. In a speech to the Munich Security Conference last week, President Biden said that addressing Russian recklessness and hacking has become critical to protecting the world's collective security. The punishment is just one measure aimed at holding Moscow accountable for other actions, including its use of a banned chemical weapon against anti-corruption activist Alexei Navalny. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told CBS on Sunday that the response will include a mix of tools, both seen and unseen, and will not simply be sanctions. They can be expected over the next few weeks. Number two, President Biden and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met virtually on Tuesday to reboot their friendship. My colleagues Anne Guerin and Amanda Coletta imply that the two leaders were practically giddy as Biden recalled visiting Canada in 2016 and joked about his bad French skills. And Trudeau said he welcomed partnership with the United States to make the world a better and safer place for everyone. Trudeau, who was in Ottawa, wore a face mask in the virtual version of the Oval Office sit-down. He is the first foreign leader to receive an invitation to the White House in the Biden administration. Neither leader mentioned Trump by name, but some subtle shade was thrown at the former president. U.S. leadership has been sorely missed over the past four years, said Trudeau, noting how differently the process of crafting a joint statement went with Biden. Trudeau added, it's nice when the Americans aren't pulling out all references to climate change and instead adding them in. Still, Canada's relationship with the new administration did get off to a bumpy start. On Biden's first day in office, he signed an executive order revoking the permit for Calgary-based Keystone Pipeline expansion, which would carry Canadian crude oil from Alberta to Nebraska. The move wasn't a surprise, but Canadian officials had hoped for the chance to make a case. Ahead of the meeting, Opposition lawmakers from across Canada's political spectrum called on Trudeau to push for an exemption from Biden's Buy American Executive Order on procurement, which could squeeze Canadian firms out of U.S. government contracts. Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole also urged the prime minister to ask Biden to let Canada acquire its coronavirus vaccines from U.S.-based manufacturers. Canada has been obtaining vaccines from Europe, and recent shipments have encountered delays. The White House released a roadmap for U.S.-Canada relations focused on a recovery from the pandemic, a reversal of the economic downturn, and cooperation on climate change. It also includes a recommitment to the United Nations, NATO, the Group of Seven, and the World Trade Organization. That's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 24th. I'm Charlotte Freeland. 
Thanks for listening.